You're listening to Martin Wolf's podcast from the Financial Times. Is the US going to experience a recession? Two answers must be given to this question. Nobody can be sure, and it doesn't matter. A much more important question is whether the US economy continues to experience a growth recession, by which is meant a lengthy period of subtrend growth. The answer is that it almost certainly will. The standard US definition of a recession is two quarters of negative economic growth. This demands both too much and too little. Too much because it requires an absolute fall in output, which is an infrequent event in a growing economy. Too little because it is consistent with rising unemployment and declining capacity utilization. Such a lengthy growth recession is likely to be far more disturbing for most people, even than a sharp recession, provided that the latter ends swiftly. Most analysts believe that the trend rate of growth of the U.S. economy is somewhere around 3% a year. Growth at much below that rate, then, is a growth recession. This year, the expectation is for growth of about 2%. Next year, suggests the consensus, it may be a little above 2%. That, then, would mark a cumulative shortfall of about 2% of gross domestic product over two years. So the U.S. is already in a growth recession. It is easy to see why U.S. domestic demand should continue to be weak. House prices have fallen by about 8% from their peak in real terms on the Case-Shiller Index and may fall far more after their doubling between 1997 and 2006. Ben Bernanke, chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, has put unexpected write-offs from the bad mortgage lending at $150 billion dollars up from the $50 billion to $100 billion he estimated in the summer, though still well below the $400 billion estimated by some observers. And, as bank capital shrinks, credit is likely to remain very tight. Yet, however willing it might be to help, the Fed is also concerned over inflationary pressures. Justifying this concern are the record prices of oil and the tumbling dollar, now lower against the world's important currencies than it has ever been. What happens now depends on two things, how weak domestic demand turns out to me and the extent to which any such shortfall in demand is offset by a stimulus from net exports. The latter is the great unwinding, the re-import by the US of the stimulus it imparted to the rest of the world between 1996 and 2004 when its domestic purchases grew far faster than GDP and its current account deficit exploded upwards. As is well known, the US was the principal absorber of the surplus savings of the rest of the world, principally in East Asia and the oil-exporting countries. Somewhat less appreciated, however, is how this has worked domestically in the early 2000s, the principal domestic absorber of this glut of external credit was the U.S. government. Since then, it has been the private sector, which ran a financial deficit, excessive spending over income, that peaked at 3.4% of GDP in the third quarter of 2006. The latter deficit was, however, entirely contributed by the household sector, whose financial deficit reached 3.8% of GDP in the second quarter of 2006. Such a deficit can, of course, be financed only by selling financial claims. In the case of households, these claims took the form of rising debt 
principally against the growing value of houses. That has now come to an end. Yet the unwinding so far is still modest. U.S. households still ran a financial deficit of 2.3% of GDP in the second quarter of 2007. Moreover, household savings rates remain very low, at 2.5% of GDP in the second quarter of 2007. Further correction in both is probable. So what might offset such a slowdown in spending by the household sector? Normally businesses do not invest more when the economy is weak, even if their financial position is healthy. A bigger government financial deficit is likely as a result of the slowing of the economy, but an aggressive fiscal boost is now improbable. That then leaves net exports. As Wynne Godley of Cambridge University and co-authors point out in a recent paper, a sustained improvement in U.S. net trade will offset at least a part of the likely sluggishness in domestic demand. This is why the U.S. authorities talk about a strong dollar, but do not mean it. They want a retreating dollar, but one that does not turn into a rout. Already, net exports contributed a quarter of U.S. growth between the first three quarters of 2006 and the first three quarters of 2007. Without it, then, growth would have been only 1.5% instead of 2%. But exports are only some 12% of GDP. They must grow by considerably more than 10% a year in real terms, if the contribution of net trade to the rate of U.S. economic growth is to be as much as one percentage point, it is likely, then, to be much less. A plausible view of the future, then, is that the U.S. will experience a lengthy period of sluggish growth in domestic private demand, partially offset by fiscal expansion and an improvement in net exports. It is via the latter effect, moreover, that monetary policy should have its principal impact, since households are unlikely to borrow much more while their houses decline in value. This is the great unwinding. So what does it mean for the rest of the world? It means that the rest of the world will adjust either by increasing demand relative to potential supply or by reducing its supply relative to demand. The former adjustment is clearly the more desirable. Will it happen? The good news is that the build-up of foreign currency reserves and accompanying desire to prevent currency appreciation by keeping interest rates down are themselves expansionary. The resulting so-called overheating is part of the solution, not part of the problem. If this overheating becomes bad enough, governments may allow still faster currency appreciation. Perhaps even the Chinese will finally realize the error of their interventionist ways. The Great Unwinding is a turning point for the world economy. The rest of the world, and the emerging markets in particular, must now become the demand engines of the world economy. Will they do so? This is the big macroeconomic question that has to be answered over the next few years. Thank you for listening. To read Martin Wolf's columns online, please go to www.ft.com forward slash wolf.